today school for startups radio thank you so much for being with us three fantastic guests we have japanese cad cam rock star yushiro kato has raised 170 million dollars after that ibm update on the latest and watson x generative ai and then from dale carnegie my teacher Andy Dunn, actually, actually, Dr. Dunn, will be with us to talk about the incredible classes that Dale Carnegie is offering. So we've got a cram-packed show. We're going to go ahead and get started with our first guest right now. He is a Japanese superstar and hopefully will be taking over American manufacturing. Please welcome Yashiro Kato to the show. He is the CEO and founder of I didn't ask. Is it Caddy or Cad I? How do you pronounce the name of the company? Caddy. Caddy. It is a really cool uh, company that is taking over manufacturing and helping reduce costs. They've raised about $170 million, I believe, and has won some really impressive awards. Forbes 30 under 30, Forbes top 10 Japanese entrepreneurs of the year. And Chicago Business Journal put it as one of the top 10 stories of the year. They've just released a new product called the Caddy Drawer, which is an AI-enabled tool, and we will learn more about it. Kato-san, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jim. How I'm are very you excited. today? Beach <laughs> Great. Um, what did you learn, Japanese? I went to Nanzan. I used to also work for uh, Nihon Boeki Shinko Kai. Oh, really? That's yes. that's fantastic. Oh, Nanzan in Aichi. Yes. You know, that's where manufacturing, you know, the core of manufacturing is located, right? Yes. Very, very rural, uh, not rural, uh, industrial area. I used to yeah. sit out. I would sit out on my apartment uh, roof and look out at uh, several uh, Toyota factories and... <laughs> uh, quite a bit of manufacturing it was a very ugly area but boy were they pumping out the money so uh, yeah that's impressive yes well what speaking of impressive uh kato-san went to todai which is the most i think the hardest school in the world to get into in terms of just pure statistics how about you uh, you have to get amazingly well on test it's all test oriented right you can't get in through the back door there how many hours did you spend preparing for those tests as kids? Um, that's a good question. I actually, um, I was really into music when I was in high school. So I didn't really um, study until the, the last year of the, the high school. So I didn't have a lot of time. I spent 18 hours per day uh, for the last six months in the last year to, to get into the university. Wow. Well, you just must be incredibly smart in the first place. So what kind of tests are they? Are they similar to the American SAT? Is it just, you know, how well do you know Japanese grammar and math and this, that kind of thing? Um, yeah, kind of math, English, history, like science and so on. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, there's no, uh, I think, more competitive school in the world. So that sort of speaks 
in and of itself. After that, you were with McKenzie and made the transition to Caddy. Talk to us about that. So how did you get the idea? What did you do first? Give us an entrepreneurial background. Well, yeah, actually, I'm sorry. Before we even do that, explain the, the company and the products and how you're helping manufacturing. I come to you as a manufacturer. I have a factory. I hire you to oh. do what? Okay. Um, so um, Caddy is a, a st software startup for manufacturing field. Um, we have two business units. One is Caddy Manufacturing. Um, Caddy Manufacturing is a procurement platform for custom-made parts. We kind of connect buyers and suppliers in the market. So this is kind of a custom-made parts version of Amazon. Um, so customers upload their, their drawings and engineering data. Um, Caddy Manufacturing analyzes the data and makes, makes quotations automatically. And then we select best suppliers among our network of 600 suppliers globally. And then they produce the parts, we inspect the parts, and we deliver the parts to the customer. So um, that's, the, that's the one business we have. Secondly, we have Cadijor, which we uh, launched last year. Cadijor is a, a draw, drawing search software to um, reduce procurement cost. So Drawer automatically analyzes historical 2D drawings, even handwritten ones, within the second so that people can search drawings, not just by keyword, but by, but, um, by shape uh, for future use. So we have our patented technology to search similar drawings with AI. So those are the two business units we have in Caddy. Um, I was, uh, in, when I was in the university, I had my own business, and, but I, want, I wanted to do something bigger, something that solves problems around the globe. And I didn't have any idea as a student about what's happening in the traditional industries. So I decided to go to the go to McKinsey to learn more about um, pain points and issues um, in bigger in, in bigger and traditional markets. And I found uh, manufacturing very interesting in that sense. So um, yeah, the, in 2017, I started this uh, this company called Caddy. All right, and was there a light bulb moment? Where you realized, ah, I could, uh, now I got it. Or was it a slow, gradual realization about what the company could look like? I would say slow, gradual thing. Um, I found, you know, I spent last two years at McKinsey. I, I was there for four years and I spent the last two years uh, at McKinsey for procurement projects. And then I found some issues around procurement where people want to, of course, reduce costs by, uh, you know, um, negotiating with the suppliers, but there's no information about which factories are good at what kind of products on the internet. Also for custom made parts specifically, you never know the quality and cost of parts from each supplier until you place an RFQ and an order to them, which is too late and makes it difficult for procurement people to reduce costs. So that's why I started Caddy Manufacturing with some AI leverage, AI enabled technology to automatically analyze drawings drawings and make quotations automatically so that that's you know how we started um how, how i came up with the idea all right and what was the first steps what did you do very first um good question so i um i actually i um created this company with aki who is a co-founder and cto of, of, of the company 
we met each other like 10 years ago. Uh, he used to work for Apple as a software engineer in the U.S. West Coast. Um, so I talked to um, Aki about the idea and, you know, checked whether this is you know, possible um, to do it automatically, like, you know, with, with his technology. And then he said, like, one month later, he said, yes, it's possible. So, you know, we decided to start up um, our, our own company. All right. And where was it based? Why did you do it? Chicago? Why did you decide on Chicago? Is that just where you were living? Yeah. Yes. Um, so we actually at McKinsey, I uh, spent some time in Midwest, in uh, Milwaukee and Chicago. Um, so I know, um, you know, Midwest is the center of manufacturing in the U.S. Uh, we started from uh, you know, Tokyo, but actually uh, we launched a new office um, a little more than one year ago uh, in Chicago. And so now I'm based out of Chicago, um, you know, and my, our office is in Chicago, too. All right. And in terms of scale, where are you now? What are, what are you allowed to share with us? Uh, number of employees or revenue mm -hmm. projections? What, how big is the company, Kato-san? Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we cannot disclose uh, most of our information, but number of employees, we have around 600, pe 600 people um, globally. And uh, we have four countries no, five, five countries in operations, including the U.S., Mexico, Japan, Thailand, and Vietnam. Um, and Cadizor is growing at 10x per year. So it's um, one of the fastest growing software in the manufacturing field. Uh, we've raised $170 million uh, in the last two years. Those are the figures we can disclose. Okay. That gives us an amazing idea. 600 employees speaks for itself. That's uh amazing growth mm -hmm. and congratulations that's a huge accomplishment well done yeah thank you so who is the bread and butter customer I, i'm thinking of several uses for example if uh you know if i have a factory and a part breaks and i need it immediately can i send you the drawings and you make me a new one and have it to me in 24 hours i mean what or as mm -hmm. an entrepreneur if I want to create a minimally viable, you know, template or example or prototype for a physical product that I'm hoping to make, is it affordable? So where, where can we go with the, with the possible uses? Yeah. So in terms of caddy manufacturing, um, our value proposition is more on quality and cost side. So our customers are more of a, like procurement officers in, the traditional large companies, not like entrepreneurs, uh, unfortunately. So okay. there's there are so many on-demand, what you know, what what, what is called on-demand manufacturing type of platform where you can upload a 3D CAD file, and then the the platform tells you you know how much the cost is, and then you can immediately order that uh, part, and then you will receive it within like two three days. It's um, it's kind of popular or at least becoming popular in the U.S., but our services for more, that's kind of services for entrepreneurs or um, individuals or like engineers who wants to have prototypes within one, two days. But actually our services for procurement people, they don't really care about um, like, you know, very short uh, delivery lead time because right. they have like timeline, right? So 
um, on-time delivery is more important than faster delivery. So we um, kind of, we we serve most of our customers are in high mix low volume to mid volume industries. Um, but and the, the you know average lead time for production is generally one to two months. But of course, on-time delivery quality and uh, cost are very important. So those are, you know, again, procurement officers and the traditional uh, companies are the, the targets for us. And, and what are you manufacturing for them? Parts for their products or? Yes. Okay. Um, so generally how manufacturing works is they start from business development and design the parts, uh, designing the parts, and then uh, they procure most of the parts Sometimes they uh, manufacture the parts in-house, but most of the parts, more than uh, 60, 70% of the parts are generally procured from third parties or suppliers. And then they assemble the parts and then deliver the parts to the end customers. So we um, provide the parts to the customers um, based on their designs. So that's, that's, that's um, you know, uh, you know, it's fabricated parts. So we basically do, for example, sheet metal parts, machinings, wire harnesses, uh, plastics, all those um, type of parts. Right. Well, very cool. So your average mm-hmm. order then is a million units of something? Uh, not really million units because, um, so in caddy manufacturing, we don't really serve mass production customers like old motives. Uh, we more uh, we are more focused on high mix low volume to mid volume, which is one uh, piece per per month to thousand pieces per month. It's not like millions. Uh, for Caddy Drawer, uh, it's a software, so um, our customers include Suzuki, Subaru, Denso, those kind of uh, like automotive uh, customers. They of course deal with a lot of drawings, uh, so they need a platform to manage that. But for Caddy manufacturing. Again, um, we, we need to, you know, um, pro- provide the parts to them at lower cost. And it's very hard to lower the cost for mass production industries. So we uh, target high mix low volume to mid volume industries. Tell us a little bit about raising $170 million. I think that was what, through three rounds? You've raised your C round, I think yes. I read. So... Uh, Tell us about that experience. How'd you get the introductions? How long did it take? Do you feel like they treated you fairly? Or or do you feel like, you know, the American, of course, stereotype is the venture capitalist is going to come and fire you on day two. Or, you know, that's a great movie meme. What's it really been like? Yeah, so um, we, we've been through um, the seed, seed round, series A, B, C, so four rounds in total. Um. We started from angel, inv- angel investors, um, and then so like personal networks, um, like former McKinsey partners and so on. And then from Series A, uh, most of the funds are from VCs, venture capitals are, are around the world. Um, series A and B, um, so series for until Series A, I almost let all, all the processes. From Series B to C, uh, we have you know uh, a new CFO. Handling, handling that so um you know I, I didn't i wasn't really involved in that process of course you know in the final interview like management interview i was involved in that process but um like the cfo is like um you know great enough great enough to handle all the things so um that's the overview um we yeah so i i, I of course i cannot say <laughs> we are not 
fairly valued. Uh, I, I think we are fairly valued. Um, although the market is, you know, uh, in a bad situation now. Um, yeah, so that's that's the kind of overview um, of the story of fundraising. All right. Uh, well, well done. You seems like you've navigated that very well. And who are the main investors, the main VCs at this point? Um, we have more like a more than 10 VCs, but, um, DCM, for example, DCM is, um, based, um, I think based from, I think Silicon Valley, um, or arena, um, Globus, those kind of like, um, some, some VCs are from Japan. Some VCs are from the U S or the rest of the world. So it's very mixed. Do you think that this is an American company or a Japanese company? When I talk about the. DNA, how important is Kaizen and just in time and continual improvement and all of the other Japanese uh, innovations that have made them so good at manufacturing? Um, you mean, are you asking, um, is that the core of, of, of the caddy spirit or? Like yeah, you know, how, how important are Japanese business practices? in this American company or are you running okay. it as an American or as a Japanese? Do you talk about Kaizen in the company? Um, yeah. It's it's an interesting, interesting question. So we, we don't really talk about Kaizen in, in caddy. Of course, uh, it, it's been, um, um, talked about, uh, in Japanese manufacturing industries. Um, but in, in caddy, of course, I'm from McKinsey, um, the Amer American consulting firm. Um, Aki's, Aki grew up in the, the U.S., you know, West Coast. He uh, worked for Apple. So we, we, we don't have a flavor of like Japanese, Japanese companies. Of course, we have Japanese members um, who have worked for uh, traditional Japanese companies like Toyota or Honda. Um, so I, I think it's a mixture of a Japanese culture and American culture. Um, but I think most of the, um, the core of our culture is from McKinsey and Apple, which is obviously American you know, companies. So, um, yeah, so we, we don't literally talk about Kaizen or, you know, um, Kanban, uh, at Caddy at least. What are your goals for the next five years? Do the venture capitalists want to, are they talking about taking you public? Is that the goal or do you? Envision the company selling. Uh, you think that eventually you want to, you know, have it a tent pole of your own and become one of the brand names that we all know. What's your goal? Um, goal is not uh, to go into public. Of course, um, it's just a kind of milestone. Of course, we need to, you know, take that milestone because we are venture capital funded uh, or backed. Um, but our mission is to unleash the potential of manufacturing and we envision to unleash the potential of manufacturing by enabling people to leverage historical data and prevent from reinventing the wheels. So, um, especially in the U S a lot of companies have very, very long histories, even with more than hundred years. So it's a huge opportunity, opportunity loss if you don't utilize data in the past. So, um, yeah, our mission in the long term is to unleash the potential of American manufacturing and manufacturing globally. And uh, in five, five years, we would, um, I don't know, be, um, be going into public, um, but it's, it's just a milestone for us. 
Yeah, well, the venture capitalists are going to force you to do something, so it'll <laughs> yeah. be interesting. You know, they have <laughs> to get point, their money yes. out at some point, you know. So yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, venture capitals and are aligned with our, our of course, goal, and also, um, of course, they they want to have bigger impacts, um, you know, and, and they want to have bigger returns. So um, in order to do that, um, we we don't want to go public with uh, like smaller revenues or smaller profits um so you know in that sense we are we are totally aligned um the question would be you know when but it's it's not going to be like one two years it's it, it could be like three to five years but it's not going to be one to two years excellent well kato-san you've done an amazing job it's uh an honor to even just sit back and look at the execution you've done it all very well and that's been rewarded with 600 employees and 170 million in venture. So congratulations. You get an A plus. Thank you very much. <laughs> How can we find out more and watch the story? Um, so you can uh, search us on Google, of course, Cadijor. You can, you can search Cadijor on Google and you will find more information on our website or you can follow us on LinkedIn. You can find my name on LinkedIn uh, and our company's profile page on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Great story. Thank you so much for sharing it. And uh, I hope you'll come back when uh, you ring the bell in New York. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. And we'll be right back. We are back. And again, thank you so very much for being with us. Very excited to introduce another great guest. Please welcome Raj Dada to the show. He is a vice president of technology partnerships at a company called IBM. You may have heard of them. He leads strategy and sales in the IBM ecosystem through partnerships with companies around the world. He was previously the CEO of Oak nine, a cloud security company. And prior to that, he also worked at IBM for a couple of decades. Raj, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am very well. Thank you. So we are going to talk a little bit about generative AI today, how they can make stuff up out of nothing. Is that good or bad for me? Why am I excited? Well, you should be excited because uh, generative AI is, is really going to change the entire, entire world and the businesses that we know. You know, and what it'll also help do is is really accelerate uh, business today. It will help us become a little, lot more efficient, and it'll help us do a lot more different things that we haven't seen or thought about in the past. All right, give me an example. Well, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. This is an example that you know IBM uses internally. So um, you know, as you had mentioned, you know, I had. I came back to IBM this past July, and one of the things that IBM has implemented is we use our own Watson X platform uh, for our HR, a lot of our HR functions. So as you're onboarding employees, as you're transferring employees, as you're giving employees raises, you can do everything through our internal HR chatbot, which is just amazing. So what it's done is it's freed up our HR partners to actually go work on you know the more serious or significant HR areas versus, you know, having to deal with just common questions that come up. And so, you know, that saved us a lot of time and saved us a lot of money. 
And, you know, we're seeing this use case uh, prevail across the board um, in the ecosystem, everywhere from small companies such as Ovum Health, for example, uh, that we recently collaborated with to embed IBM Watson X Assistant into their website and mobile app. This took them less than 60 seconds. Well, I said seconds, took, I meant days. Well, it took 60 <laughs> seconds to do what? And also you used a word that I don't think you meant to use, Raj. I think you misspoke. You said small business. By that, you mean like $4 billion in sales, right? Because that's the bottom of the companies that can use generative AI, from what I understand, right? You got to have like $4 not, billion. Not, <laughs> not, not true at all. Not true at all. All right, four, um, 40 and, uh, million. 40 million is the bottom no, then, Raj. No, no. 40 million, you Raj. Know, I, I, I will tell you, I am seeing some of the coolest use cases out there from companies that are probably a two to three person shop. You know, um, I was actually speaking at a conference about a couple months ago and I ran into a CEO who told me they started using our Watson X trial. They were up and running and they were able to put their solution on top of our Watson uh, X that, uh, AI platform within, within the weekend. Right. And so Things are moving fast, and this is for any size company. And, you know, as I look at it, it's so exciting because it doesn't have to be a $4 billion business. Of course, there are $4 billion plus businesses using us today, but there's also the smallest of companies, which I feel is amazing because we're allowing everyone to take advantage of this AI because this is going to be the revolutionary part of, of the next generation of our businesses. Raj, I hate to be rude and to do this, but I don't know how to do it otherwise. <laughs> how does it compare it. to chat GPT? That's what we've all been exposed to first. And so that's sort of what the basis of knowledge is when we say, you know, uh, AI right now. Is it the same? How is it different? Why is it better? And I hate, I, I know that's a really rude thing to do. Your cooking is almost as good as my grandmother's, you know, <laughs> um, as I well, sit yeah, down to it, eat it, at your table. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, uh, you know, without going too deep in this area, I mean, one area that I do, you know, this is an important fact because, you know, ChatGPT is fun if you want to write poetry or, you know, I have a, Two teenage boys, I sometimes catch them potentially, you know, look at, looking for guidance on their homework, right? Um, and, and those areas are interesting, right? But if you're building AI for business, that's a totally different aspect. If you want to put the right guardrails in place and ensure that your output is actually has the, the right amount of content and doesn't have, you know, um, what we call hallucinations, right? Something that's completely incorrect that may have biases in it. Then you want to look at a product like IBM's that is actually AI for business, right? Not AI for consumers, something to play around with. All right. That's well said. And it goes back to that old expression. Nobody gets fired for buying from IBM, you know? It's, uh, you know, you know that, that that is so true. And, and let me let me mention this, right? Where else would you trust your data if it wasn't, you know, do you want someone that's collecting your data and using it to train their models? Or do you want someone that comes to you and says, keep your own data? We already have our models. We also have opened up to open source models, which you can leverage across the board. You know, so we, we believe in trustworthy AI. We also believe that the data belongs to the business that's leveraging our technology.
All right, Raj, let's get, uh, let's wet the appetite of some of our listeners. Uh, we all have mundane tasks that we do. I, for yeah. example, you got introduced to me through a publicist. And so I track, I have to keep track of the publicist and who they send me and all of that. And so it comes in through one system, say office 365, and it needs to get put into a Google document or a Google, uh, calendar or something like that. You know, all of us have that kind of junk in our lives. Could AI solve that? Can Watson be told? So my understanding is, and let me ask a stupid question. I've been told that it's like a, a, a really fresh MBA intern who's really smart, but doesn't know what to do in, you know, you have to tell it exactly what to do. You can't just say, write an article. You have to say, write a 500 word article in standard business English, talking about a clear thesis supported by three, you know, clear examples. You have to treat it like a, a moron, but it's a really smart moron, you know, help me here. What, what can I do? Wet my appetite. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, look, it's. <laughs> I, I don't think uh, the the the, the uh, AI products that we built are for morons. But what we've done is, you know what I mean. We built it. That's what we feel uh, no, like, no, no, I, Raj. That's what I feel like well, when well, I say well, I'm going to buy a Watson AI. <laughs> I feel really scared. Yep, uh, and, and you should. I'll put it like this: moron over here that you're speaking to has actually been able to play around with Watson X. And, and really develop my own models by just by teaching it. And we've made it so simple that even, you know, be it a business user, that MBA college student that just got out or someone that's a data scientist, we've, we've opened up this platform where we have, you know, the AI component. But then, as you mentioned, there's so much different data points coming in. How do we put all that disparate data into one big data pool? That's our Watson X data product, right? And then at the end of the day, before you release it out in the public, you want to make sure that it's correct. You want to make sure it's responsible. You want to make sure it doesn't have bias. We've very much simplified that. And we've made it as simple as you don't have to go out and hire an army of data scientists to do this. You can have, you know, the, the, the person like Raj or someone like you that can actually start, you know, just playing around with it. You can get onboarded here in minutes on the, on the Watson X platform and then start playing with it. So we've simplified it and made it very, very easy for, for all companies to be able to start leveraging this technology. All right. I want to play with it myself and see if I can get it to do stuff is it you should is you, it, know, you know my, my goal though for next year is essentially to leverage that for fantasy football at one point right because i do terrible every year so uh you know that's that's my that's my hidden agenda for learning the models <laughs> well you know that brings up it it should be able to tell us well i guess that's why we play the games because you never would know what you know <laughs> crazy stuff is going to happen of course and yeah, uh, sure. and also it should tell us who the stock market is going to win, you know, there too. So if it can tell me when I'm going to die, surely it should tell me how IBM stock is going to do over the next year. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a human elements that are also involved yep, as well. Right? So, um, 
you know, with, with players, you don't know when an injury is going to occur and whatnot. But I will share with you that, you know, as, as a side note, what we're also seeing is there's a lot of interest in the sporting community with regards to this because they're realizing that generative AI could really help them change the game, not only for player scouting data, et cetera. But, you know, if you, if you take a look at what we did with the U.S. Open, for example, we, we actually were able to have generative AI become the announcer. You know, we've been a sponsor of, of the Masters for many, many years. We're seeing sports, like sports startups, very early stage sports companies that are coming up here that are doing wearables, that are taking that data and doing analysis on what additional things and what additional exercises do players need to do with regards to avoiding injury to getting stronger. So we're seeing a lot of very interesting use cases from here. Well, it sounds absolutely fascinating. I can't wait to go and play with it. And if I can get a success, if I can make my life easier, I will brag about it all day long. Raj, how do we find out more and continue to learn? How do we get signed up? Do I go to Watson X on Google or something? Where do, how do I play? The easiest way to do it is just go to IBM.com. We have all the information right on the website. Uh, you know, this is a very, very important part of our business. And, uh, you know, we're, it's, it's right front and center on our homepage. Fantastic. Raj, thank you so much. I hope you'll come back in six months and give us an update and send cool use stories our way. Thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And we'll be right back. During the holiday season, I took a Dale Carnegie class. It was fantastic. And today I'm excited to welcome Dr. Andy Dunn to the show. He was the instructor. Absolutely amazing. I think you should all take a Dale Carnegie class. I, I learned so much. I'm excited to welcome Andy Dunn to the show. Andy started off in public school education, I think teaching elementary kids, but has since gone on to complete his PhD in exceptional learning. He has been involved in diversity programs and corporate training for about the last 10 years. And he loves Dale Carnegie because it's a principal package, a time proven structure to be taught, but he's allowed to make it his own. And I can attest that he did that. Andy, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. So why do why is Dale Carnegie so important? Why should entrepreneurs in particular, but just all adults, continue with their education? I got out of college for a reason. Damn it. I don't want no more. Well, the uh, philosophy that a lot of people have is that you, you work toward a goal, you get there, and you're done. And that's when you get the houseboat. Currently, uh, that's not the way the world works. Um, in many cases, uh, people reach a preliminary goal, goal, and then they realize they're not in the place they imagined that they'd be, or they're not in the place that they'd like to be. And also, um, we're in a world that's moving really quickly. Um, when we stop moving forward, we start moving backwards and we lose relevancy. So continuing to work on, um, on all of our skills, especially the skills that some people would call soft skills, they're not soft at all. What do you mean they're not soft? Um, they're some of the uh, most difficult skills uh, for some people because uh, a combination of uh, the speed the world 
moves today and just a lack of the type of foundational learning that people had in the past, those soft skills are often missing and they're they're often um, difficult to pick up later in life, certainly not impossible. And that's why Dale Carnegie training is so relevant. And what are the soft skills? You, I think in class there were four or five that sort of targeted. Well, the five, uh, the five skills that were targeted in the Dale Carnegie course um, all have to do with um, relationships, communication, leadership, stress management, um, and it's, it's, it's interesting that, um, they sound simple, but they wind themselves, um, throughout everything that we do. And no matter how, how much business acumen and how much uh, knowledge we have in a certain technical field, the ability to communicate with people, the ability to maintain a relationship with teammates, the ability to speak with clients, the ability to, um, find an in is something that's as relevant today as it's ever been. You mean find an in, you mean into a person's personality and how you can be friends with them. An in is in terms of how to finding a relationship, way, finding a way to establish a relationship, whether that be a casual personal relationship, whether that be a business relationship, um, whether that be um, to get an audience with a new client or to present an idea to um, potential um, investors, the world is about relationships. And although um, we spend less time on that right now, again, it's as important and as relevant today as it's ever been. All right. I certainly agree with that. Andy, tell us a little bit about Dale Carnegie himself. Uh why well, you know, Dale, he's sort of to me in that category like Dr. Spock. We all know the name, but we're not sure why we know the name, you know? Kind of that group. Tell us a little Dale history. Well, um Dale Carnegie was was born in Maryville, Missouri, and he worked on the family farm. And he went through um different um different vocations and then he realized that there was a need for people to be more comfortable public speakers. And what he initially embarked, um, embarked upon was um, a set of uh, public speaking classes and realizing the importance of human relationships, of principles like gaining willing cooperation of other people. Um, he started morphing things. And although there is public speaking um, in the Dale Carnegie course, the focus is really on relationships and 111 years later um that class is uh, still relevant now some of the examples we might use and some of the technology we might use to present that are a bit different but dale carnegie began that work um many years ago and rather than having just a single man's vision dale carnegie did something great he looked at people that were successful um, in business, in their personal lives, and he found things that they had in common. So Dale Carnegie did not write a lot of um, brand new material, but what he did was he found things and distilled things that were out there in a way that, um, that had context and relevance and practicality for the people that uh, took the Dale Carnegie course. And that practicality, that context, um, 
again, are still things that, that drive what we do today. Um, Dale Carnegie's legacy, um, you know, he, of course, became a renowned public speaker. The um, first book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, is like the Bible of relationships. How to um, Stop uh, Worrying and Start Living is also classic Dale. Um, but as uh, time has moved on, um, there have been other members of the Carnegie family, other people that have continued the Carnegie legacy. Uh, we still have wonderful, um, valuable uh, tools coming out. Uh, for instance, Take Command was um, a book penned by Joe Hart and Michael Crom. For those of you that um, aren't familiar, Joe Hart is the global CEO of Dale Carnegie. And Michael Crom is, is a wonderful leader who also happens to be Dale Carnegie's grandson. So not only uh, does the family keep up the legacy, but the um, the move to um, to remain um, as relevant and valuable for today's um, today's leaders um, continues. I had Joe on the show, Andy, three or four months ago when the book came out, the Take Command book. He was great. Uh, he got on to me for being down because my shoulder was hurting. So, well, one thing you'll learn about Joe Hart is that. Um, and this was something that, that I told him to himself. He doesn't just talk the Dale Carnegie talk. He walks the Dale Carnegie walk. Um, having the opportunity to have spent um, some some time both in a formal setting and in an informal setting, um, he's an example of uh, the kind of inspirational leader. You know, we we don't simply suggest uh, that people um, follow these principles and make these commitments and do the work. Every member of the Dale Carnegie team um, embraces the same thing because in order for uh, me to have any kind of integrity, um, I have to fully embrace what I'm doing. And because I'm a 100% believer in the value of, um, of all of the tools, it, it makes it easy. Yes. Let's go through a little bit of the principles, Andy, can we, I know there's the 30 and they group them into three buckets. Could we go through the three buckets and perhaps work our way up the pyramid? Uh, so our listeners can understand a little bit about this. Uh, certainly, um, the 30 human relations principles, um, that are discussed in how to win friends and influence people, um, are grouped into three sets. Um, the first set. Um, of the principles have to do with establishing relationships, uh, enhancing relationships and being a friendlier person. Those are the foundation upon which everything else is going to be built. Some of these um, may sound very easy. Some of them may be uh, more difficult for some of us. And during the Dale Carnegie courses, it's interesting when we discuss them, how some people are all in for some of them and struggle a bit with, with others, but it's never the same group. So the first set includes things like um, not criticizing, condemning, or complaining, um, always giving honest and sincere appreciation, arousing in other people an eager want, becoming genuinely interested in other people. Here's one of my favorites, to smile. Remembering that a person's name is, to that person, the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Being a good listener, encouraging others to talk about themselves. Talking in terms of the other person's interests. And making the other person feel important and doing it sincerely. 
Um, I want to point out that there are words like sincere and genuine and honest all through these principles. Um, It is possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason. And that's not what the Dale Carnegie Human Relations Principles are about. It's about finding a genuine and sincere way of doing the thing that you want. Um, it's Yes. I want to uh, ask a question. Did you do that, go through those nine with the little gold book in front of you? And there's a little gold book that they give out that lists all of the principles. It's, you know, four by four fits in your pocket. A uh, great little resource. Or did you go through the memory trick that you taught us? Uh, did you do that for memory? Well, I always have a golden book handy. I've got one probably on the corner of my, I do, on the corner of my desk right now and in another one in my jacket pocket. However, um, in in preparing um, to, to become a Dale Carnegie trainer, um, I, I really tried to embrace the material and to, to fully immerse myself. The human relations principles um, are easy to recall because they're so practical. And I, I don't just work to use them every day, but I try to be intentional about that. So with that intention, yes, I did use the little mnemonic tool that we used in the class to, uh, to remember these. And they're still there. Give everybody just a real quick rundown of that, because I think it's one of the cooler things that I learned in the class. Well, one of the things that that we do in the Dale Carnegie course is we talk about things that are important to remember, things like names. And we have a process uh, that we use to to help um, recall, uh, to to remember and recall names. Uh, But another one of the tools that we use is what we call a PEG process, where we associate a number with a word a word with a picture, and then a picture with an object that we're trying to remember. And we have a system that we go through where we start linking those things up. And then it's almost like, um, it's almost like recalling a story. And with, with each of the, the numbers and words and pictures that we've remembered, we can recall that, that object or that concept or that topic. And we uh, use that to help, um, demonstrate the ability to intentionally memorize things, but also um, in uh, initially learning the human relations principles. Uh, One other thing I wanted to point out uh, before we move on to the next set of principles is that um, it is definitely possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason. And with Dale Carnegie, we never use human relations principles on people we use them with people it's a tool to build relationships it's not a tool to manipulate Um, we talk a lot about um, inspiring and influencing people Um, the move is to get willing cooperation this is not to be coercive and again when you read the language in the human relations principles um, it's all about you know congruence um, integrity So uh, that first step, the first foundational steps are important. And once we've established a relationship and we've built on strengthening that rapport, uh, there's a set of principles that have to do with um, gaining willing cooperation, um, how to win people over to your way of thinking. And um, those um, have to do have to do with things we encounter on a regular basis. The only way to get the best of an argument is to avoid it. Show respect for the other person's opinion and never say you're wrong. 
if you are wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically, begin in a friendly way, get the other person saying yes, yes, immediately. Let the other person do a great deal of the talking. Let the other person feel that the idea is his or hers. Try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. Be sympathetic with the other person's ideas and desires and appeal to nobler motives. Dramatize your ideas and throw down a challenge. Now, that middle set is great because they're very focused on a relationship between two people. Um, they're not so much things that, uh, that you do, but they're things that... Um, you use with with other people things that you you um you work into a relationship and you know once we've we've got this willing cooperation because again we're not trying to coerce people then we go um into the top step of the pyramid the leadership principles how to be a leader and andy yes sir before we do that would you say that the middle bundle the ones you just went through coercing people, but not, you know, getting them to do anything nefarious. Are those quote unquote, our best sales principles as well? Um, they're a great way to, um, to get people on board in sales, certainly. And again, I don't know if, if, if we use the word coerce, uh, influence would, would be a, right. a yes. more accurate word. Yes. Um, yes, uh, they're valuable tools. Um, in, in many situations, um, an idea is great. And it's, it's not so much a matter of how much we communicate the information, but how we communicate the intent. That's why the principles like getting the other person to say yes, yes, um, trying to see things from the other person's point of view is trying to connect people with, uh, with the action you're trying to get them to take um, rather than pushing the action on them. When we get people talking about, you know, um, things from their point of view, and we look at what their true desires are, we can connect them with, with an idea or a project or a product to get the outcome that's mutually beneficial. And again, um, this is about finding things that connect people so that they both benefit. All right, let's move on to the leadership. Okay, begin with praise and honest appreciation. Uh, call attention to people's mistakes indirectly. Talk about your own mistakes before you criticize the other person. Ask questions instead of giving direct orders. Let the other person save face. You want to um, praise the slightest improvement and praise every improvement. Um, I love this quote, be hearty in your approbation and lavish in your praise. Um, Charles Schwab was a uh, contemporary of Dale Carnegie's who really, truly believed in that. And uh, Dale Carnegie quotes him there. Um, give the other person a fine reputation to live up to. Use encouragement. Make the fault seem easy to correct. And make the other person happy about doing the thing that you suggest. Um, and, and that's really what all this is about making uh, sure that the other person is also happy so that it's so that it's a win-win because a true relationship whether it be a business relationship or a personal relationship should be a win-win there should be some sort of mutual benefit to both parties um which also uh, leads me to uh the point that these principles you know were designed for professional people in professional settings 
there is no place where they wouldn't be valuable in, in a personal life as well. That, and yes. the person, yeah, the personal life and, and the professional life are so intrinsically connected, uh, particularly with things like uh, hybrid work and the way people um, use their their profession sometimes as their as their uh, main identity. So the principles um, can be of use in in every facet of life. And when we make significant gains, when we're able to do things like uh, manage our stress and worry in the workplace, it certainly has a positive impact in our personal life and vice versa. Andy, how would you relate or correlate or associate or connect all of this with some of the really popular buzzwords that we have out there today, especially emotional intelligence. A lot of the class I was sitting there going, you know, thinking about some of my emotional intelligence learning and education and reading that I've done. And I thought that, I don't know, what are your thoughts on the correlation between those different ideas? Well, there are a lot of different buzzwords. Um, things like, engagement uh engagement is is a huge metric right now for many companies and the human relations principles certainly help with that um as far as things like emotional intelligence um there are many discussions and many discourses about the importance of emotional intelligence um and things that are important to to do unfortunately um there aren't many um, guides to how to actually get to that place and tools like the human relations principles um, from Dale Carnegie can help us develop areas where, um, where perhaps we're not as developed. Um, anytime we're looking for performance change, um, Dale Carnegie, um, Dale Carnegie's methodology points out that, you know, performance change isn't just a behavior change. There has to be an emotional change as well. Um, there's an emotional um, component to anything that we do. And to truly get a lasting and meaningful performance change, there has to be a behavior change coupled with that emotional change. Um, Dale Carnegie reminds us, when dealing with people, remember, you're not dealing with creatures of logic, but with creatures of emotion. When uh, we look at things like the... Um, stress and worry principles from how to stop worrying and start living. Um, many of these are tools that will help develop a sense of psychological safety, which is another one of the big buzzwords uh, to create an environment, whether it be one-on-one -on -one or, or in a group setting um, where people feel comfortable falling forward, where they can take a mistake or an error and move beyond it in a safe way. Uh, in, in the same way that the um, top of the pyramid of human relations principles um, have to deal with uh, redirection, have to deal with um, constructive or redirective feedback, but in a way that maintains the, uh, the dignity and the psychological safety of, of the uh, other person in the relationship. So, these don't have some of the fancy labels on them, you know, because these were um, compiled, you know, over a century ago, but they are, uh, they remain just as relevant uh, to what we're doing. There's been um, a move to um, 
make sure and just remind people of the relevance of, of these tools. And in addition to the regular uh, version of how to win friends and influence people, there's also a version called how to win friends and influence people in the digital age. Takes the same material and the same goals and relates them to more current examples. It still has some of the classic examples from people like Lincoln and Marcus Aurelius, but it also has examples from uh, people like um, like Bill Gates. And in doing that, we've uh, Dale Carnegie as an organization has made a move to really remind people that um, there is still a context where the tools and the principles um, apply today and and would be very valuable to people, you know, of any age and of any position, whether uh, an entrepreneur starting a new endeavor or someone that's been sitting in a leadership position for many years. Um, the idea, and you brought this up earlier, it's not a matter of getting that degree and, and getting to a finishing point and getting the diploma and being done. It's a matter of uh, coming into the boardroom or the office or into the sales um, meeting and being better, uh, being better at what we're doing, being better at our relationships tomorrow than we are today and being better next week than we are this week. And Maybe. with that... Yes, sir. I need to move on the topic. I need, I got one more question for you. We need to pay attention to the clock. What are gotcha. you doing to get ready for a new year? What are your thoughts, Dale's thoughts on time planning, goal setting, writing goals down, sharing goals with others for accountability? What's your thoughts on 24? Well, in the Dale Carnegie classes, um, we point out and we actually practice, um, setting goals, setting breakthrough goals and having a vision and then sharing that, committing it to paper and sharing it with someone else. Um, moving forward, um, Dale Carnegie has, has taught me all along to trust the process when I make a mistake to admit it and to move on and um, to simply um, remind myself of the exorbitant price I can pay for worry. So rather than worrying my way into the new year, I'm uh, going into it with a plan and commitments and knowing that uh, with some integrity and some hard work, uh, we can all finish the year in a better place than we started. I love it. Great way to wrap it up. Andy, thank you so much again. Thank you so much for a great, great class. Uh, what you and Dale Carnegie are doing, the whole system. How many different branches or offices are there around the world? Do you know? It's got to be a hundred or something. Uh, there are many branches, and we are also in many countries around the world. And some of our branches um, have fingers in different communities. For instance, uh, the uh, Dale Carnegie Southeast, which is the franchise uh, where I am a full-time trainer. Um, we have offices in Atlanta and Nashville, and we're growing a footprint in Central Florida, and we also do work in Southeast Virginia. So um, whether you be here in the States or you be in a place like uh, Turkey or England, uh, there will be a live course or an online formatted course uh, uh, that can be accessible from any place in the world. Best URL, how do people reach out and get in touch? DaleCarnegie.com and if you're looking for something local 
you can always go to nashville.dalecarnegie.com. Well, awesome. We are out of time. Thank you so much for being with us today. Be safe, everyone. We are back tomorrow. Go make a million dollars. Bye now. Oh, 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 oh,